right, good to be back. Uh, I'd like to thank Andy and Paul uh, for the opportunity to speak here again. When I was the chair of the leadership team years ago, I typically come up once a year to do the New Year's sermon. Uh, I figured this was because probably it took about a year for the congregation to recover between my talks. So the last one must have been a doozy because it took you five years. So <laughs> maybe I'll give you another five years for the next one. Uh, inspired by when Mark Anderson preaches, he always has notes. So thanks to the staff in the last minute great rally, they have some notes. Uh, if you want to take uh, your own notes or follow along, that's uh, something that's uh, extra for you. you can, it's a take home for you. When I was in about grade 10, I had my eyes checked, and I found that I needed glasses. I remember the first day of having them. It's not like what I was looking at before wasn't there previously. It's just that now, there was a richness and a detail I hadn't experienced. With the glasses, I could see what the teacher had written on the board. I could actually recognize people when they were a ways down the hall. You could even look at cute girls from a long way off <laughs> instead of creeping them out from a closer range. In sports, I could see the ball and the puck better. I mean, I knew tennis balls were supposed to be fuzzy, but not that fuzzy. My skills picked up right away. The world opened up to me in a way I wasn't aware could happen. The reason I've called this talk, What Glasses Do You Have On?, is because everyone has a set of glasses that they view the world with. Some people call this a paradigm or a worldview. And I'm going to share with you a number of ways that I was viewing the world and my life that maybe wasn't as clear as it could be. My suspicion is that many of you are on similar journeys and may find this helpful. What's this thing called? Okay. Be because, Barry, you are the one that told me what it was. That's, you don't get the bonus points. <laughs> when one goes to an optometrist, they are introduced to a very weird-looking device. Anyone who's got glasses has used it. It's called a phoropter. And it lets you experience different lenses, some better, some worse. The optometrist flips the lenses, A or B. A or B. Most of the time, I couldn't tell. I felt like I was being tested or something. It kind of reminds me of a story about a very, very old fellow who was on his deathbed, and the family gathered around him and asked to see if he had any final requests. He said, I want to see my optometrist. They were bewildered, but they got the optometrist to come anyway. When she got there, the fellow asked, I can't go without knowing, was it A or was it B? <laughs> hey, double points. You know how hard it is to make a funny story about a phoropter? <laughs> In my spiritual journey, there were a number of lenses I was looking through. Some things made things clear. Some things made them blurrier. Some of the blurriness came from my own misperceptions, some from culture, and some even from what I'd been taught through my various church experiences. 
I'm going to structure this talk around three lenses. The first one is blindness to vision. The second one is a compound lens. And then the third, sort of like the eye of a fly. And the third is the 3D kingdom lens. The first lens, blindness to vision. In the hymn Amazing Grace, there's a line that says, was blind, but now I see. My biggest lens flip was when I gave my life to Jesus at 19 years old. I realized that I didn't actually see up until that point. But that was by no means the end of the story, just the start. I'm going to excite some of the Regents students here by letting you all know what I'm going to talk about has to do with sacramental ontology. I just lost all the youth, but that's fine. What do I know about sacramental ontology? I'm going to default to a quote by the Apostle Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'm going to give to you. For sure, there's not going to be much theological gold here, but don't get too excited. I'll just share my experience. Lens two, the compound lens. As my life went along, in order to cope with all the issues and challenges of life in this newfound Christianity, I developed a nice compartmentalized approach. I lived in various boxes, the work box, the family box, the church box, the sports box. Without really realizing it, in each box, I had different ways of doing things, different ways of speaking, sometimes different values, and even exhibiting different character. That view even infected my children. I remember one time when my daughter Leah was in early high school. She came to me frustrated. She said, Dad, I feel I'm a different person at school and at church and at home. What do I do? Who am I? I fumbled out some answer at the time. Looking back, it was kind of like the story of the boxer who came back to his corner after a round of being punched silly. He said to the coach, I see three of my opponent. What do I do? The coach answered, hit the one in the middle Anyway, Leah, he's in, I think she's in the nursery, it's uh, over a decade and a half late, but this sermon is a better answer to your question. And I'm recording it so you can review it later. <laughs> Don't worry about the written test, it's pretty easy. What I came to realize was that this compound lens was the result of influences that I was previously unaware of that were subversively influencing my life. I was being carried away by forces that I was oblivious to. The blurry lens was a result of three, what I call, isms. The first was dualism. It's a view that can be traced back to Plato and Greek philosophy. It still has a major hold on many perceived the universe. And it has been, at times, fully embraced by the church. Simply put, it's seeing the universe in two distinct dimensions the spiritual, and the material. On a practical level, dualism creates what's commonly called the sacred and secular divide. Most Christians are fairly good at classifying what things and what people go into each category. The first dimension is called sacred. It's the God stuff, the spiritual things that you do. Accompanying this view is a perception that there's only certain people 
called to live in this dimension all the time. Missionaries, pastors, Shayla Visser. <laughs> For a little while, years ago, I had a stint as a bivocational pastor. This was before coming to Granville, about the same time dinosaurs roamed the earth. Being a bivocational pastor meant that I had a regular day job, but I did additional pastoral work on the side, Sunday preaching duties, etc. There's even a few people in this room who heard some of those early sermons, for which I deeply ask for forgiveness at this time. <laughs> Although I was doing more than the usual amount of sacred work, in other words, my church box was just bigger, there was still a disconnection with the rest of the week. When that gig finished, the sacred stuff simply shrank back into a smaller box. I was only in that dimension when attending Sunday service, going to Bible study, doing social ministry, praying, giving, etc. Although I crossed over into the sacred space on occasion, that's not where I spent the majority of my week, where I lived in a space called secular, a place where God is at best distant, or at worst, completely absent. But that's where our daily work or school grind happens, raising children, paying bills, decisions about our career, the strangers we pass, shopping, eating, commuting. These are all decidedly very ordinary and not sacred, or were they? The second ism is related to dualism and can also be traced back to a bad idea that's plagued the church for centuries. It's an ancient heresy called Gnosticism, which is the belief that there's a secret spiritual knowledge you can get. Spiritual thinking and being are separate from the material body, which is seen as kind of worthless. And attaining this knowledge by casting off the material puts you at a higher spiritual level than the regular folk. You have to achieve up there living and escape the down here stuff. I started to recognize that these influences infected the way I was doing church. For example, I've been to Christian conferences that play on the idea that it's only in the separate sacred times that you grow, that our greatest growth is only available away from the people God has placed in our lives, that where and how and who we live with each day is a place to be escaped from. The third ism is what I'm going to call selfism. Without even thinking, I was living with an unquestioning acceptance of our culture's fixation with individual greatness and self-potential. That strength is a byproduct of self-reliance. Of course I fell for that lie. I'm a tennis coach. You can't be more about individual accomplishment than that. But apart from sports, even in my Christian context, I was getting pumping up messages, calls to action about being personally impactful, doing great things for God. My lens had an individualized tint, luring me to go blaze a trail with God on my own. And that the Christian life was a private thing about shooting for these spiritual mountaintops. Now, maybe not for anyone else, but for me, these well-intentioned messages from the evangelical church at large were just echoes of the selfism greatness messages that modern culture was bombarding me with and luring me along. Now, I'm by no means saying that inspiring sermons 
uh, or conferences can't be impactful at times for God to move you, please still sign up for the, search re- the church retreat, okay? That's not, don't, well, Wayne said, no, no, sign up for the church retreat. It's, it's still good. And I'm not saying that striving for excellence is inherently wrong. Far from it. What I'm saying is that for me, in the long run, the lens that I was seeing through made up of these combined isms just made things more cloudy than clear and added to my compartmentalization of my life. Do you recognize any of those things influencing your life? What glasses do you have on? At the time, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew there was something off. I even tried my own solutions. For example, I tried to make my church box just bigger. I started to bring Jesus into my life. I would pray in the morning for Jesus to come with me. I would engage in exercises like leaving an empty chair in our Bible study at home to show that Jesus was there. I would imagine him sitting next to me while driving. That one didn't work out so well. Turn away, Jesus, while I cut off this jerk for what he did to me in the last (laughs) intersection. My Christian mindset was to bring Jesus along in all that I did. With all good intentions, I really was trying to make Jesus a character in my story. Pretty good goal, wouldn't you think? But the result of my bringing Jesus along mentality was a never-ending cycle of guilt and the feeling of never measuring up. Let me just grab this one thing. And that was always bubbling up in the surface. It would work like this. I was responsible for bringing him along. If I didn't, for example, evangelism wouldn't happen. He wouldn't be there to minister to the the people. God would be absent in that place. If I didn't bring him along, there would be no results. And after a long period with no tangible spiritual outcomes, I became numb. In a spiritual sense, I was just going through the Christian motions. I found the prescription that helped cure these three isms, and it was a new lens. I'm calling it the 3D kingdom lens, and a few years ago, a new narrative started to invade how I was thinking. I was flipping to a clearer lens, and for me, it's summarized best by this quote from New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. We are summoned to become a character in his story, and suddenly, everything looks different. It was a very different view for me than bringing Jesus into my story. With this new lens, I was beginning to see the great truth that I'm not responsible for bringing in the kingdom. I'm only responsible for connecting to the king and actually participating in where he leads. And even that is a lot more of his work than mine. And besides, where did I get the false idea that I could go somewhere where God was not in fact at work? God's already out there, constantly ahead of us, reconciling all things to himself. It was so freeing for me. The invitation to relationship and participation is not the burden of being responsible for results. What glasses do you have on? 
the compound lens I was looking through was actually even blurring my theology a bit. I'll give you an example. In times past, if you had have asked me, a good evangelical, what's the gospel? I would have given you a version that typically sounds like this. We're all sinners. Jesus died for our sins. Accept him and you'll go to heaven when you die. Although this gospel definition contains the truth, it's a two-dimensional picture of the gospel. It flattens the gospel into a proposition to believe and a transaction with a future cash-in. To have a truly life-impacting theology, I needed a full three-dimensional scriptural view of the gospel in all its wonderful depths. I'll give you an example so you hopefully can see what I saw when I didn't have the 3D kingdom lens on. Let's look at a familiar scripture with this view in mind. John 10, 9 to 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Without the proper lens on, I saw the believe and go to heaven transaction. But are these verses talking about dying and going to heaven? Based on the context of this passage, life to the full is just as much about now as when we die. And do you think this abundant life, which some translations put it, is only about a constant string of doing great things for God? I saw a helpful visual image that I learned. So just imagine that this is your life. So you were born, you go along, maybe here you become a follower of a Christ, and you keep going, and then there's the end. And then, guess what? Heaven starts, and then you have eternal life. And that's kind of what my view was. But what these passages and others are saying is that's not the way it works. It actually works like this. And eternal life is actually starting now. Let's look at another passage where Jesus actually defines the gospel, which simply means the good news. Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word for gospel used is the one translated here, good news. So Jesus, in this verse, defines the good news. And how does he define it? He defines it as the time is coming. The kingdom of God is coming near. I started to wonder in myself if the only facet of the gospel that's important is to accept Jesus, so when you die, you go to heaven. Isn't a bit of an oversight for him to actually not mention that here when he defines it this way? Are you maybe seeing the lens flip a bit? What glasses do you have on? With the 3D kingdom glasses on, I started to see passage in the, passages in Scripture that I had previously just ignored or skipped right over, like this one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior... 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. When I had the compound lens on, I would read a passage like this and only see the individual transaction, as true as it is, and only see the escape to heaven and completely miss the bigger, full-bodied kingdom narrative. I realized that maybe the gospel was not only Jesus sacrificing himself for my individual sin, which is absolutely true, but maybe, just maybe, we're supposed to be unselfishly bound to a bigger universal story about God reconciling all of creation. In many manuscripts, when it says here, to every creature, it's translated in all creation. It's also interesting to note that it's also expressed in past tense. The gospel has been proclaimed. Let that one sink in a bit. In direct contrast to the influences of dualism and Gnosticism, this view is about the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. It is about his project of a new creation being launched through Jesus' birth, life, death, death, and resurrection, which reframes how everything is viewed and how my life is lived right now, not in a future heaven. As he grabs me from within, heals my soul, reorients me back to the Father, back to others, back to the world he created. The solution to the selfism lens that I had accepted with its emphasis on self-making and self-help and the great cultural value of independence, I was not comprehending we were created with limitations that are expressed in actually greater ways after we've given our lives to Jesus. The Bible teaches me that with my limitations, they actually drive me to God. The great preacher A.W. Tozer said, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. The blessing at looking at myself through the 3D kingdom lens is to embrace that I am interdependent with others. I have to, for example, I have to let go of my tendency to respond to people, for example, who say, you know, you look a lot better without your glasses. And my usual response is, actually, you look a lot better without my glasses. <laughs> I obviously have a lot of growing still to do. I'm also dependent on the earth he created me for. Life is not about gratification of self, but a recognition of the other. Feeding individualistic tendencies is not an option for those who follow a God who refuses to be alone and who is by very nature self-sacrificial love. The kingdom lens focuses all the compound lens sections together. It absorbs all the other boxes it encompasses all the compartments. Christianity is not about a God who divides 
body and spirit, but unites them so the physical life and the spiritual life are inseparable. With the wrong lens, I fell into the trap of only seeing a blurry, distant God connected to me only at times when I could muster the energy to rise to some kind of greatness. What filled my day pretty much counted for nothing, unless it only became about converting people. But it's not the extraordinary times that are important in everything else substandard. It's my ordinary life and how it's lived. That's the key. With the new glasses, I can see all of my life at all times in clarity. They're not just put on for the big tasks. I had to grasp the larger story of God becoming a human in Jesus, which we call the incarnation, which includes the significance of of the 30 years he actually lived before his public ministry as a human, to understand that everyday events are the means by which God often tries to reach us. As kingdom ambassadors, we've been called to be priests and culture makers. We bring order into chaos. We're doing a godly service when we do that. When we wash the dishes, put a plant in a room to beautify it, when we organize things at school or at work, we're bearing the image of Christ. What glasses do you have on? My final point is that sometimes it's possible for me to forget my kingdom glasses. So it said a mugger would find it easy to stab me without my glasses. I would be like, what are you doing with that cantaloupe? (laughs) It's Sunday morning, I know. Without the glasses, though, every time... Pastor Paul quotes that in each person is the potential of a missional movement. When Pastor Andy lets us know Alpha is coming, so you better start inviting. When we talk about even greater things, without the kingdom glasses, the isms take hold. All I see is the burden of responsibility for this sacred work. And doesn't that require some sort of special gifting anyway? I mean, I'm not Barry Jung, the neighbor guy. (laughs) Guilt and inadequacy begin to rise without those glasses on when I hear those things. I'll put my hand up that that happens to me. Does that happen to anyone else? Two of you, great. Okay, that's good. We had the confession earlier, no problem. I'm not the only one. Now, just to be clear, what you're not hearing me say is that we bless the status quo, that there's no room for hope for the future, for sacrifice, for discipline, for being sold out for God. What I'm saying is viewing life with the right glasses will ground all these things. There'll be outpourings flowing from who we are through all of our life lived as sacred, not the great tasks we rise up to perform. We will become the human, the humans that God's great plan is about. Human beings, not human doings. This is the key to the sacramental ontology that I promised at the beginning. With the new glasses, again, there's only one compartment. All of life is a response to God. 
which, by the way, the Bible calls worship. My worship is the offering of my everyday stuff, watering the garden, working on my computer, making lunch, interacting with people at work or at school, driving kids. Yes, it includes the singing part, but it's bigger. All that presented to my creator in dependence and gratitude, and he will do with it as he sees fit. Let's end with the passage that was read for us at the beginning. But now, see if you can see it with the new glasses of the kingdom on. Romans 12. So here is what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What glasses do you have on? During the prayer ministry time, I hope you feel the freedom to come to the great optometrist if the Lord has moved you to receive new glasses if he's called you for that to view the upcoming year. Let's pray. Lord of all creation, the one who opens the eyes of the blind, let us see you as we go through all you have for us this week and the year to come. Amen. I invite you to stand and we'll continue to.